I just totally underestimated how much teachers would be wanting that. And, you know, there are teachers who are burned out. There are teachers who don't want to take more in, but there's also teachers who have been pouring out for a whole year and they haven't been fed. They haven't been filled in that sense. And, you know, nobody's going to conferences. Nobody has time to take all the online classes they would have loved to do programs have been paused and so teachers are really just excited in my experience in our setting they've been really excited to have opportunities to kind of reignite why they're teaching and what they love and how they can grow and be better teachers. Hi I'm Diane Sweeney and I'm the author of the essential guide for student-centered coaching and our new book student-centered coaching from a distance. And I'm Brandon Lewis, and I'm an innovation and learning coach in Liberty, Missouri. And this is Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, where we sit down with coaches and teachers to explore how they are supporting student learning. Our hope is that through sharing these stories, we can all grow together. In this episode of Students Are Coaching, the podcast, it's gonna feel a little different than the previous episodes. We thought it'd be fun since this is our last episode for this school year to end it with multiple interviews with three coaches who actually were featured in Diane's latest book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance. I think you'll be able to connect pretty well with these coaches and their stories. And Diane, since this is the last interview of the school year, I know you have a few things in the works. So tell us a little bit about what you have going on this summer. Yeah, we're all glad that summer is close, aren't we? And um, we really hope the learning continues through the summer and actually into the fall. And it feels great because we're starting to anticipate coming back to working professionally amongst our colleagues. One example of that is we're going to be hosting a workshop here in Denver, Colorado on October 15th and 16th that's in person. So yay, cue the applause, because man, we all are missing that. And um, so that's coming up soon. And we're not soon, but in the fall, and we hope you'll, you know, come if you can. And then also, you know, we will continue learning online, we're going to keep those courses coming. So you can always check out our website uh, for our online course options, as well as our workshop information. So just visit dianesweeney.com and you'll find all that information. One last thing I thought I'd mention is we do have just posted on our website two free mini courses that are, um, one is for US schools and one is for international schools. So if you just wanna get a taste of student-centered coaching, that's a really great way to do it as well. So lots going on, lots of options and lots of support that's either low cost or free or in-person or virtual. The options are endless. One of the positives that has come from COVID for sure is that it's, it's really changed the game in the way that people do receive professional development. So I'm glad that you do have a variety of options um, yes. for coaches who are out there. Um, thinking about you talking about your two-day workshop, it's been so long since I went to that. Um, and I will just say for anyone who has not been to one, I would highly encourage it. Um, I even went to it after I had already started as a coach. So it was nice to be able to connect the things that I was learning to, to a few previous experiences as a coach. So I want to go ahead and throw in my two cents and my plug for why I think you guys should do that for sure. So thanks for sharing that, Diane. 
I also wanted to share out that our goal is to, over the summer, still have an episode once a month. So be on the lookout for that, even though it might not be during the school year for you. Um, we'll still be sharing things via Twitter, as well as um, if you um, do subscribe to this podcast, which we appreciate, that it'll pop up in your podcast player whenever we are able to do that. So thank you again for um, listening these last four episodes and now this one the fifth we just really appreciate you and i hope you guys enjoy this episode thanks everybody i just wanted to welcome amy garrett who is a ed tech coach at the hong kong international school and amy you've been thinking a lot lately about the role of tech coaches and how to transform that role uh, into sort of a new blossoming opportunity for coaching to expand a bit. So can you tell us a little bit about your work in that area? Yeah, thanks for having me, Diane. It's great to join you and Brandon today. I, um, I'm here in Hong Kong where um, for the last year, my role has changed a lot. <laughs> I joke every day it's changed, um, but it's certainly changed a lot over the last year. And a year ago, we were on the front edge of the wave of COVID hitting the world um, and our schools closed. By this point, we were already 12 weeks into home learning last year. Um, and it was really a time where I was forced into a role of triage and IT support. Um, there was a lot of tech needs. We had to build platforms. We had to create websites. We had to train families and teachers. And, and really my role of a coach slipped into this role of consultant and IT specialist um, immediately. And it's been something that was a great blessing in disguise um, because I was able to form great relationships with a lot of people in our community, teachers and parents and students alike. So we were fortunate to um, kind of end our school year and have a break and have a summer pause and be able to start the new school year kind of fresh. And so um, after this really intense period of being IT support, we really were able to come back to the new school year with kind of a new focus and refresh and think about what should coaching look like moving forward. Um, we had a lot of administrative support, which was really important and crucial to this. Um, and we have a coaching team in my division, which was also really helpful to kind of shift me out of that IT view into this team of coaches. And so we've really worked hard this year um, to develop our coaching culture at our school. And I feel like because I have a team and because I have administrative support, it's been um, easy for me to take the relationships I built last spring and kind of take those to the next level in a coaching sense um, this year. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about how you integrate into your bigger team. Yeah, so I'm um, in a school where we've got 10 sections of every grade level. And so there's about 700 kids, grades three to five um, in my division. And I work alongside a literacy coach, a STEM and innovation coach, a math and enrichment coach, an instructional coach, and then I've got another tech coach working alongside me. It's amazing that we are a team of six. Um, a year ago, the team didn't exist. A year ago, we didn't have a common office. We didn't meet together. We weren't really connected and we weren't even all in coaching roles. And so in August, they built a coaching office over the summer and built a professional learning space, which has just been a game changer um, for building culture. Um, but it's also just been great to share an office with five other people who are thinking about coaching. And so we've all talked about how we've learned so much from each other, even just from coffee conversations. You get to school in the morning and you just start chatting, you have lunch together. Um, and so 
it's been helpful. I think sometimes the tech coaches are the oddball out where we, we are coaches, but we also are always seen as IT and you're never sure if we report to divisional educational needs or to school-wide technical needs. And um, just having this team, I think, has really helped me um, to establish myself as a coach in the school. And so we're really focusing on providing professional learning opportunities for the faculty. And so while I do a lot of that with technology, I've also been leading goal setting um, protocols for teams. We've been doing reflections at the end of the year together, um, leading professional learning labs on student self-reflection and looking at student work. And all those things have kind of helped um, because I have the trust of my colleagues and because I have their, you know, their respect and their mutual um, partnership through the last year of um, being on the front lines, um, it's really made it a nice way to kind of ease into more of a coaching relationship with them as opposed to always coming to me for answers. They're coming to me now with questions and ideas that we can explore together. Um, so that's been a really good shift. And I, I do credit our administration and the fact that we have a team um, to help me in that role, because I think it can be harder when you're on your own as the only coach, um, or you're maybe not part of a bigger team, but that's definitely been a blessing in, in my setting. You mentioned being on the front lines, um, especially when that first wave of COVID when it initially hit. And I think that um, just about a lot of our listeners, how they were a few months behind you and still to this day, a few months behind, right? So as you have already um, made some moves and transitions, um, from that, just that tech support into true authentic coaching, what would be maybe even some advice you have for coaches that are either about to enter that stage or kind of in the middle of it? it what, what's some advice that maybe you have for them? Yeah. Um, hold on, hang on there. <laughs> You're going to be okay. It's hard. It's so hard and it feels good to be kind of over the hump in some ways. And on the other side of it, we, in Hong Kong, we have fluctuated from students being on campus to off campus to on campus with severe restrictions to off campus. I think we've gone through nine schedules since August this year, and that's been insanely complicated. Um, I think some of the things that have helped us really work um, as a team and work on coaching have been to just, again, think about the kids and just bring it all back to why we're in our role. And I think um, there's a few things that come to mind. One is understanding the difference between what's urgent and what's important. There's been so many urgent things on our plate over the last year that have competed for our priority and um, they've just taken up our time. Um, and being able to recognize that the urgency is lessening and you can really focus on what's most important. And they're not always the same thing. In fact, they're rarely the same thing. And so I think that's one thing as a tech coach, um, you know, a year ago I was getting emails at six in the morning saying, I have to get on with my class in 25 minutes and I don't know my link and now, that kind of urgency isn't there. I'm not having to respond to things immediately. Um, and the tech requests are far less um, frequent and far less urgent. So I'm able to focus on what's important. And then when you think about what's important, you think about your students and you think about the learning that's happening and you think about um, encouraging people to grow. We just had a team reflection last week, um, a coaching team retreat, which was really wonderful again. And just reflecting on the past year, we were amazed at how much we've accomplished this year. Um, when we started focusing on the important, we had a lot of growth. We had a lot of professional learning this year. And we know that we're kind of in a unique situation to be able to say that because there's a lot of schools who this whole year have been trying to survive and have been just trying to figure out what tomorrow looks like. Um, but I think that's what did it for our team was being able to 
let go of like not having as many urgent requests and being able to focus on the important things um, and really just driving people forward. We initially, I was worried that teachers would feel overwhelmed, um, right? Because like, I, I don't have headspace. I I'm saturated. I can't take in any more learning right now, but actually the opposite is true. People are kind of starved and craving um, this, this, challenge and this growth and this stimulation. And so we've had really good response from our teachers when we've offered professional learning labs and different things on campus to kind of encourage and challenge people to continue to grow um, despite the crazy year that we've had, or maybe because of the year we've had. Um, and so I think that's really um, my encouragement is that it will come um, <laughs> and just hang on, um, but also just keep in mind what's urgent and what's important. And, and once you're able to surface um, and tread water and focus on what's important, you'll be able to um, make some great progress. I love how simple that is. Um, mm. That's great. I mean, we can, whether we're a coach or we're a teacher or even an administrator, like we can all, as a parent, we can all live, yes. right? By thinking about that. That's such a great lens to look through. And we also had this quote that they put up from Steve Jobs. Um, being focused isn't just only doing what you're wanting to do. It's saying no to everything else. And so when we focused on the important, when we were able to say no to the little daily tasks that had been eating all of our time, um, because we know those will be resolved and we know that there's not high stakes stress involved in it. Um, we were able to say no to some of that distraction and be able to focus in on, on what was important in it. It's, it's amazing how those little things that seem really important at the time um, are actually really just urgent kind of distractions. And those will, those will disappear. Like those will go away. And your, <laughs> your retreat and celebrating, that's really what this episode is all about because we really wanted to just take stock in the year. And I'm so excited to hear that you were able to do that as a team and that you felt there was a ton that happened, even though it feels like a year that didn't happen. There's a lot that happened. The other thing too, that just stands out to me is I think people who are like Brandon was talking about a little behind maybe us in term or you in terms of moving beyond COVID, there's a, a, a desire by teachers to engage professional in professional learning. Because I think some of us have this fear that are they going to come back? Are, is there going to be interest? Is there going to be bandwidth? And you're saying there is, which is another thing to celebrate is teachers are coming back and looking to collaborate, it sounds like. Yeah. And I think there is burnout. And I think it's totally fair to say that teachers are exhausted and some teachers are not at a point where they're ready for it. I just totally underestimated how much teachers would be wanting that. You know, there are teachers who are burned out. There are teachers who don't want to take more in but there's also teachers who have been pouring out for a whole year and they haven't been fed they haven't been filled in that sense and you know nobody's going to conferences nobody has time to take all the online classes they would have loved to do programs have been paused and so teachers are really just excited in my experience in our setting they've been really excited to have opportunities to kind of reignite why they're teaching and what they love and how they can grow and be better teachers um, through all this and the celebration piece is important like we've paused and celebrated like the growth we've had as a staff um, and the goals that we've accomplished this year um, we have a big celebration next week for our whole division and every team's going to be able to share out you know the work that they did this year and and it's quite a lot and it's quite amazing. Yeah, kudos to Hong Kong International School for, for to you, but also to the school for investing in coaching and allowing you the time to collaborate as a team, to grow, to have the ability to 
take your role and take it in really amazing directions. So I'm impressed with the direction of the school and how much you've had a chance to get done this year. It really is humbling. We had a goal setting at the beginning of the year, we set a divisional goal and our administrators asked the coaches to help um, create a protocol for teams to set their own goals in connection to the divisional goal. And it became this conversation of how many goals are too many goals. We've got a school goal and we've got a divisional goal. And now we've got a team goal. And the decision was made that individuals could forego a goal this year. There's no you know, requirement or no pressure in that sense, but we know that everyone's working towards these team goals. So that's contribution and growth. If people wanted to, some and many did, they set their own individual goals. But as a coaching team, um, we were kind of charged and empowered to lead those conversations, to set the goals. Um, and so we worked with all the different teachers and including the specialists and including the counselors and learning support and setting specific goals for their teams this year helped everyone to kind of focus on what's important again. And then as a coach being involved in that conversation, it, it allowed them to um, see me in a position to help support them quite easily. And so there were a lot of conversations and partnerships that came out of just being um, in that initial goal setting process. And then we've just taken time the last three weeks to reflect with all the teams on their progress and go back to the start of the year and think through all they've done. Um, and it's, it's really truly been a, a nice celebration and a good way to end the year. <laughs> I love that you guys in, your, in Hong Kong International have just a, a culture of celebration too, because mm -hmm. things have been very negative, right? So to have um, the, the leadership there that says, no, we, we are gonna celebrate these things that are taking place and taking the time for that, I think that's really important as well. Thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing this work with us. And we cannot wait to stay on top of all the growth that happens with this coaching team and 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 stay in touch and we'll, we'll keep learning together. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you, Amy. In this conversation, we get to hear from Mary Loeffler, who is an elementary instructional coach in the Sun Prairie School District, and she works at Royal Oaks Elementary. I had a chance to work for many years with Mary and her team as they were implementing student-centered coaching, and she also wrote a piece in our new book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance. So welcome, Mary. We're really interested to hear how the rest of the year has gone for you. Thank you. And I am so excited to be here. And thanks, Diane, for all your work over the years. It's, it has helped us get better as a coaching staff in Sun Prairie. Is there kind of work still happening? Can you take stock in that independent dependent, the, the kids developing their own success criteria and how, what's the latest on all of that? So we, I will say that is a that has been a big focus and we've continued moving in that direction even through COVID. And actually I maintain kind of because of COVID um, because, you know, kids at home, we've been doing concurrent teaching. So kids, you know, we've had to count on some of their agency to do the work and, and, you know, encourage and, and prompt and get feedback from them. Uh, that's been a lot of our work around, let's, let's ask the students, let's ask them, you know, how is this going for you? What would you like different in our lessons? That's kind of been the hard thing to navigate because we want kids to be independent and have some, we've really been on the universal design for learning path. 
So I'm really thinking about planning for variability and in our learners and then lifting barriers for them. Um, so that's been a lot of our learning and that is all about creating independence. So it's about like, what does this work look like so that it's not just, you know, out of a can or out of a seesaw activity or, you know, something like that. So it's really authentic and coming from them. So trying to move away from busy work and yes. be, because a lot of times when we're trying to help kids be independent, then we go to low level busy work, but you're trying to do rigorous work that's independent. That's really, I think where true engagement comes in by students. Absolutely. Especially when you compare that to compliance, which is what you're talking about with that busy work. Yes. Yes. We also did a whole system-wide book study of Zaretta's book, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain. And um, that has really been powerful. We, in our school, we, everybody did it. Our whole entire staff, assistants, um, our, everybody. and we were in small groups and we really talked a lot about a lot of these issues and a lot of it about independence versus dependence. And I'll tell you, having our instructional assistants and our, um, you know, our special ed assistants, all part of that conversation to say, how can we help our learners, all of our learners? So somebody doesn't have to sit by them all the time, you know? Um, and again, looking at needs and looking at, you know, ind- individual students, but for the most part, like how can we help them, yeah, engage and be a little more independent? So that's that's driven a lot of our discussion and work. The big piece is there's a foundational understanding of the idea of, of, it, of this, the, the power of it and the idea of it. There's a shared language around it now, but, I'm guessing that this showed up in your co-planning sessions with teachers, right? Is that accurate? Yes, yes. And that's kind of been the an in a lot of times, like, oh, let's take a look at this unit. And, you know, there's some great opportunities, especially with hybrid teaching or or it's a it's a newer unit. Let's let's take a look at it. And that absolutely has been a way in to say, let's do some work now thinking about this idea of creating more independence and giving some, you know, giving kids some more voice a little bit. And again, helping, um, having kids help create the success criteria, um, doing a lot, you know, we've really implemented a lot of just inquiry-based lessons, especially at the start of units. Um, And I think of writing in particular, like, boy, here's a kind of an end product, you know, like, what do you notice? And what should the success criteria be when you take a look at this? Or, you know, um, in math also, you know, thinking about math, like, wow, here's the, we have um, a teacher who has their students now taking a look at the end of, no, the pre-assessment for a math unit, which is pretty similar to the end of unit assessment. And rather having the kids take the assessment, she just had them take a look at it and say, where do you feel like, you know, you feel like I kind of have an idea to 
I don't know anything about this and let's set up some goals then. And um, this, she and I kind of worked together. She had this idea and we talked through it together. And so kids on a, each have a jam board and they make their goals and then they reflect on those goals and upload evidence of their learning periodically through the unit, like the end of every module. And then now they have this all this evidence. And at the end of the unit, when they get to that same, you know, whatever their goals were through the unit, they can say, wow, look at this. I, I did it now. I made progress. So that's, I, she and I have um, collaborated a lot on that. You know, it started the first time it was like, mm, the goals weren't really so, so great. You know, they were pretty surface level, but it's really taken on to the point where she just said to me the other day, she said, we just finished a unit and the kids were like, oh, we get to go back to our jam boards now. So like, how exciting is that? That really is an example of what you're talking about, where there's yeah. the ownership with the students to, to learn and to grow and they understand how they need to learn and grow. And the whole, all of the blinders are taken off. So they're partners in the process. Yes, yes. When that agency and student evidence meet together, I feel like that's when the magic happens. And that's exactly what that process is that you're talking about with that teacher. Um, yeah. Even as you're talking about what they do with the pretest, how they're just looking at it and kind of looking at it as a whole instead of going through and trying to solve everything. I, what a great way to even maybe from there then create, um, to co-create success criteria together too. Like I've seen what it's going to take to be successful. So here's all the parts it's really going to take. There's a lot of, there's a lot of power in that with them still not even having to do that pretest like you're talking about. I mean, that's a great idea. I have to do a shout out to Kara Vandis, um, who has worked with both districts. So are we seeing a theme here? Oh, I, I was <laughs> going to say, I sensed a lot of common language, Mary. That's fantastic. For our um, listeners, Kara wrote a book with John, John Elmerode titled Clarity for Learning. So Kara Vandis is doing amazing work in the area of teacher clarity and success criteria and student ownership of the process. And so we're, we're starting to hear themes across both districts, which is cool. What do you see happening next year? You know, that is a really powerful question. And we're doing, you know, we've for the last about month, we've started talking about that um, because we... We aren't going to go back to what we were doing before because there's so much we have learned through this and really powerful things that we've learned, even just, you know, options for students expressing their, their learning. I think that we as teachers also, while we're tired and exhausted, we've also learned a lot about the resilience of students and how we really can give them more opportunities to have some agency and to take some risks. People are a little more willing to take some risks in, in both in teaching and in learning. And if it doesn't go so great, it, you know, that's okay. We learn from that too. And we're kind of, I, I feel like there's a, just a little bit more of that happening. So I hope we can keep that going. Um, we we're just excited to get get our kids back be able to be on the carpet be able to be close together be able to have small groups in a 
closer together way. Not yeah. not go back to business as usual, but go back to business better. There's so much to celebrate and what you guys have accomplished this year, given that it's a year of COVID. Also holding on to the district's work in equity. That didn't go away. It only blossomed further and in new ways. So kudos to you and your your district team and your school team and everybody for how much you've done this year. Thanks. I, I do feel excited about it. Again, not painting a, you know, we there's realistic pieces to that too. You know, it's it I can't say it's been without challenges, you know. Oh, it's a process. It is <laughs> yeah. a process. If we know yeah. anything, we know that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But lots of, you know, it's always there's always excitement and I love looking forward and thinking about, you know, how do we dive in deeper? How do we, you know, just improve, get better, you know? Well, thank you so much for your time, Mary. And um, I selfishly hope that you and I can connect more after this. I think we have a lot in common and I think we'd have some good conversations. So it was really nice getting a chance to meet you as well. So thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. This part of our interview, we get to hear from Rachel Jenner, who is an instructional coach at Massanutten Technical Center. And this is a career tech high school in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. And Rachel is just such a great asset. She's a part of our team, but she's also was named teacher of the year in her school. So she's doing incredible work and and really coaching in kind of a unique place. So we thought that would be a fun thing to explore in this part of this episode. We're so glad you're here, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Rachel, can you tell us a little more about Mastodon Technical Center? So we have, uh, I believe it's just over 20 programs and our students uh, come to us from five different high schools, um, six if you include, we do pull from also one private school that can come to us as well. Um, and students come to us for about half of their school day and they take courses in the field of their choice. So we have everything from uh, what you might typically think of as a quote unquote technical center, where we have things like um, carpentry and masonry and your more building trades to cosmetology and dental. Um, we have students who go to health careers where they can earn their CNA license. And then we also have things like fire and rescue and criminal justice. Uh, then we also have what I would call more your college bound programs where we have things like cybersecurity and um, architecture and interior design, things that are going to require further study after um, the technical center in order to, I guess you would say, fully complete your training. It's amazing all of the opportunities you're, you offer in creating pathways for students to enter into careers at all, at all, in all different ways, whether it means they're going to go on to college and continue, or they're going to be able to leave high school with a certification ready to go with something they're intrigued by. And I know that at, the, at, the, at your school, you have instructors that are literally from the trades, from the, from the actual fields the students are studying. 
So can you just tell us a little bit about what it's like to coach in that environment? Um, I like to say that I'm the luckiest person on the face of the planet. <laughs> Often, I feel like a broken record, but it's kind of true. <laughs> One of the coolest things that I think that I get to do every single day is I get to walk into a program and watch these complete and consummate professionals, experts in their field, teach kids. And it is one of the neatest things to be able to watch somebody just, you know, walk a student through how to get from point A to point B. And I just have the, not only like the biggest respect for these people, just because of the knowledge that they have. Um, we talk all the time about how the knowledge that they have is so different from the knowledge that I have. Um, and so it's just really this cool partnership that we get to have where I, we often describe it as um, if you can teach me or if you can explain to me how we are going to get from point A to point B in the class and I can understand it, then we'll probably be okay with the farm kid who probably knows more than I do already. That That's kind of where what we end up doing it's it's not I would say a lot different than than how I would pretty typically look at student-centered coaching in any other way and I would say as Diane knows Brandon I would say I'm a better coach because I'm here because I can't teach I can't teach I can't fall into the pattern of teaching there are certain subjects that they want me to come in and teach, and that's a separate subject. But when we are in a true coaching cycle, I cannot, I can't teach welding. I can't teach cosmetology. I don't know how to foil hair. I don't know. You can ask the welding instructor. You do not want me in a booth. It's not going to happen. I will burn down the school. So I have to coach. I cannot teach. I cannot rely on that skill set, and it has to be a true partnership. I think um, that's that speaks so well to what a coach truly should be in that partnership role with a teacher. Because I even think about myself as a coach in an elementary building, like it is it is easier for me to coach when it's not a grade level I taught in, right? So like if I can get as the the younger the kids possible, the better that coaching partnership is going to be with me and that teacher. So that makes complete sense to me. Um, Someone maybe who is not a coach or is a new coach might be like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. But then once you get in situations where it's like, oh, I know this content, that's just not the best situation I feel like for coaching. So I love to hear you say that even in this technical center, like, yeah, you can do some of the best coaching ever because of where you are. That's great. And because you have great relationships with the instructors and, 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 but tell us a story of one, one of the instructors that you feel like is your coolest story you have about a coaching cycle and how it played out, if you would. There's one recent example that is a really fun story. There is, uh, There are two women who work together in cosmetology and they have a very big board, state board exam that they have to work together with the students to get ready for. And every year there's always this tension and this balance, just like there is with any any school of, of, you know, we want to get the students, we want the students to demonstrate what they know, 
but we don't want to teach to a test. But in this environment, it's extremely important that we prepare the students to take the state board exam. Otherwise, they literally cannot practice in their field of choice. So the instructors came to me and said, we'd really like to figure out a way that we can create a routine and a rhythm for our students to understand the vocabulary that they're actually using day in and day out so that when they get to the state board test and they see a question that they that they don't necessarily it's worded differently or something like that that they understand how that can transfer and so we really started working with vocabulary and the routines that they could build within the classroom um, especially because we were working with hybrid coming back in and, and schedules were changing. And so it was really important to them that they firm up those things. And so we spent probably about um, a good six weeks together working with vocabulary and almost context clues is essentially what we ended up using and identifying strategies that worked for them and worked for their students. And then just doing some really focused um, assessments, assessments of like practice state board tests so that students could see and then reflect, did that strategy work for me? And how did that work for me? And can I continue using it? And almost by itself, they have taken off. They have just started grabbing every strategy and they just have it's like it's like I'm following behind them five miles behind and they have just continued doing their thing and not only that it's like they've infected this whole wing in the technical center all of a sudden all the strategies that they started using with their students have appeared in these other rooms and they have just spread the joy of, of vocabulary because for them, it was not just about this test. It was about making sure that the students really understood those concepts in a way that when they got to them on the test, it wasn't just a word. They really understood why it was there, what it was there for, and what it was also not. And so it wasn't just memorization. It was really understanding why we use it and where we use it. And so it's been really fun to watch them blossom, watch them um, and really take a leadership role in uh, also spreading that to other instructors in the building and just their joy and their, um, you know, infectious, literally infectious nature with <laughs> spreading this stuff all over the school. It's just really fun. And every time I go to approach them about reflecting, they're like, no, we want to reflect after the state board happens because that's where the results are. And I'm oh, like, okay, that's I fine. Can't wait. I cannot wait to see what the results are. You have to let us know how, how the students ended up performing because not only perform, but the level of confidence they probably are gonna go into this um, will be different than if they just spend an all nighter trying to memorize a bunch of terms. So that, yeah. like you said, did that involve you getting into their classrooms and co-teaching and co-planning kind of like a traditional coaching cycle would? Yeah, we were in there. I think we did. So our periods are two hours and we ended up doing on the front end, 
we did a lot more intensive time because they were doing, they really wanted to establish these routines. And so with the students, it took a lot more time to really figure out what they were, teach the students the routines, that type of thing. But, and so we ended up doing probably four days a week at the, at the start of the cycle. But then towards the end of the cycle, it got, it still might've been four days a week, but we were talking maybe 30 minutes versus an hour and a half to two hours. And so we really started to taper off because the students got better at the routines, but they also got better. They got much more fluid and we got better at reflecting very quickly. We would reflect very quickly, figure out what worked, figure out what didn't work, and then just kind of go and move on. Um, so that idea of just taking those strategies and then pivoting, both of those ladies are incredibly reflective anyway, and having that additional student evidence was really good for them because then they could reflect in a way that was a little bit more objective versus just trying to figure out why it was that a student wasn't achieving. So much about pedagogy, which is what you bring to the table, back to the idea of coaching out of your content area, mm -hmm. is you're bringing all of this pedagogy around how to help students access the learning, and they bring the cosmetology Correct. background, and so together you have the whole picture. A lot of what teachers have told me before, and this is especially important for me in the setting that I am in, because they're not trained uh, traditionally, it is important for me to ask them on that, at the onset how they want to receive strategies, because sometimes they just don't have them. So if I ask them, what strategy would you like to use? That is really overwhelming to a lot of them. So often the better question that I need to ask is, how many strategies do you want me to bring to you? Or how would you like to choose those? Would you like to bring them to me? Would you like me to bring them to you? And if so, how many do you want? How many would you like me to bring? Because if I bring a book, their eyes will become like deer in headlights and that will not work. But if I say, you know, here's, I, so what we did in this situation was I went through a vocabulary book, I marked a few, and then I left it with them and said, you all choose whichever ones you like. Here's the ones I thought you all might identify with. And then they chose from there. What I think about too, even like transferring that outside of that technical center into a traditional building, like I don't know if that wouldn't be so bad either, right? Like, cause I mean, we do know that there are teachers at all different kinds of levels, um, especially when it comes to their comfortability with partnering with a coach, um, whether it's a veteran teacher or a new teacher. I mean, I think that could be a strategy that could be successful for any coach. Absolutely. Well, this is just so cool to hear how student-centered coaching can thrive in a technical high school, which career tech is a, is a, it's a whole nother world really. And I had no idea what it would look like. And I remember sitting out at a cafe with you once when I was in Virginia and you telling me this works, I can do this here. And I was so intrigued. And so it's so much fun to just keep peeling back the layers and learning how um, transferable all of this is and that it's serving kids. You know, that's the ultimate goal for all of this. So, oh my gosh, I cannot thank you enough for sharing this, these stories with us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Rachel. I feel like I've heard a lot about you um, from Diane. So it's nice to finally get to meet you and um, 
Me being an educator, I think my biggest passion is seeing students and teachers who are passionate about what they're learning. So for you to get to be in an environment that that is so evident, I'm a little envious of that. And um, I just love that you're getting to partner with them and, and help them in all the ways you are. So thank you so much for that and for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I told you I have the best job ever. We are so grateful as we wrap up this school year for the coaches who shared their time with us to really reflect on the year and how their coaching had to adapt and really how we're excited to see what next year brings. So we hope you'll stay tuned and continue listening to our podcast as we drop a whole bunch of more episodes in the next school year. Stay tuned. Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, is brought to you by Diane Sweeney Consulting. For more information, visit dianesweeney.com. Music is brought to you by Clemency. You can check them out at clemencyonline.com. There you can find more information on how to download their music. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast where podcasts are found and follow us on Twitter at SC Coaching Pod.